Welcome back to the third and final episode of the Little Big History mini-series, where we'll be looking into some essential questions of our past. Last episode, we explored how and why our reaction and response to disease changed. This week, we'll be looking into what extent has the modern revolution been a positive or negative force. Let's dive in. To start off, let's define the modern revolution. As explained by David Christian, professor of modern history, the modern revolution is the most recent threshold of increasing complexity. Christian argues that faster rates of innovation, new energy sources, and increasingly complex networks of global exchange have made our world more complex and interesting, as well as more fragile and dangerous. The costs and benefits of that complexity and fragility on the state of our world is what we'll be exploring today. One way we can answer this essential question is by examining some various global trends over time. Ronald Lee, an economics professor at the University of California, created a chart showing life expectancy, birth rates, and total population over several centuries. Looking at the 18th and 19th centuries, Lee's chart shows that the estimated life expectancy was only around 27. Comparatively, 200 years later, with the progression of the modern revolution, that life expectancy shot up greatly in the 1950s and 2000s. Respectively, the new average lifespans were 47 and 65 years, much longer than the previous 27-year average. Lee also looks towards the future in his chart, estimating that the average life expectancy in the year 2050 will be 74, and in the year 2100, it will increase even more to 81 years. Looking at it from this lens, we can see that the modern revolution certainly lends itself to a longer average human lifespan. Now let's examine another data set from Lee's chart, population size of the world. In the 18th century, the world population was only around 0.68 billion people. In the 19th century, that number shot up to 0.98 billion. If we think about the world and its resources, naturally, the fewer the number of people, the more resources per person. However, with the modern revolution, the population size of the world has increased greatly. Take the jump from the 20th century to the 21st century, for example. In the 1900s, the world population was around 1.65 billion people. And in the 1950s, that number was about 2.52 billion people. Then came a huge bang in the population size of the world. In the 21st century, this number jumped to around 6.07 billion people. Even more importantly, this number is going to continue to increase. Lee's chart estimates that the world population in the year 2050 will be around 8.92 billion, and in the year 2100, around 9.46 billion. So it was once looking like a great thing, humans having a longer life expectancy, can now be seen as somewhat of a liability. Because as our population continues to increase, how will the world support the ever-growing number of inhabitants? Let's look at population growth from another angle. Take urban population growth, for example. Since humans began using agriculture as a way of living, we have mostly lived rurally. This means that the large majority of people lived on farms rather than in cities. For instance, only 3% of the population inhabited cities around the 1800s, when the modern revolution was beginning to take off. However, in about 200 years, more than half of the world's population lived in urban lifestyle, and that percentage is predicted to jump to 70% by the year 2050. As time progresses, the world is steadily moving towards a more urbanized way of life. This is thanks to the modern revolution. The real question we're facing, though, is whether or not this is a positive thing.
First, I want to take a closer look at how the increasing of our population and the movement to urbanization thanks to the modern revolution has taken a negative toll in our world. This is clearly shown when examining the carbon dioxide levels over the last 10,000 years. Carbon dioxide is a chemical compound that is produced in the Earth's atmosphere in many different ways. Some of those methods include animals breathing in oxygen and exhaling CO2, as well as the burning of fossil fuels. It is important to note that CO2 is the major greenhouse gas that is largely thought to cause global warming and climate change. John Cook, a scholar working at the Global Change Institute at the University of Queensland, Australia, created a chart showing increases in CO2 levels over time. His research shows that the concentration of CO2 levels are consistently increasing from decade to decade. CO2 being a major contributor to global warming and climate change means negative effects on our world. As the modern revolution has progressed, so has the toll we have forced our world to take. This is an important factor to take into consideration when examining the essential question of this podcast. Another way that the modern revolution has had some negative effects come into play is when discussing wars and killings by governments. The modern revolution has brought about great changes such as the ability of mass communication, mass transportation, and extremely powerful weapons. However, along with these new forms of power comes abuse of those abilities. History has shown that many governments use these new powers to take advantage over their people, as well as attack other groups of people. This abuse of power is something to keep in mind as we continue to explore advancements that have come with the modern revolution. Switching gears a bit, let's take some time to discuss education and the advancement and spread of higher education thanks to the modern revolution. In 1850, only 10% of the world's population could read and write. That percentage has greatly increased today, with about 80% of the world's population having some capacity to read and write. The percentage of people who are not literate has greatly decreased. However, as I just discussed population growth, it's important to mention that the number of illiterate people has actually increased. However, that number is a much smaller percentage compared to the overall population of today's world. This increase in literacy and education has not been equal across the globe. For instance, women are more likely to be less literate than men. In 2002, around 100 million children were not enrolled in primary school and around 55% of that 100 million were girls. The majority of the world's population that is illiterate can be found in South and Southwest Asia, East Asia and the Pacific, and Sub-Saharan Africa. Although the literacy rates have increased in recent years in those areas, examining literacy across regions gives us a chance to see that the benefits of the modern revolution are not exactly equally felt across the globe. Not everywhere and not everyone has benefited, nor will they likely benefit to the same extent of those, from those positives that come with the modern revolution as everyone else. Another way and another angle at which we can explore the complexity of the question we're examining today is by looking into some of the inventions that have arisen and become prevalent in the world over the course of the modern revolution. In a positive light, some of these inventions have been great additions to our world, such as the electric battery of 1800, the x-ray of 1895, the invention of aspirin in 1897, the internet in 1969, or the space telescope in 1990. However, on the other end of this comes the plastic bottle in 1972, which is not only horrible for the environment, but the toxins from the plastic can also have lasting negative health impacts. And then, of course, there's the atomic bomb in 1945 and nuclear weapons, which, if unleashed, have the power to wipe out the human race. So, 
While there are certainly ama- many amazing inventions that many of us rely heavily on today, it's also important to remember that this is a two-sided coin, and not every new idea and invention that came along and will continue to arise along with the modern revolution is necessarily a positive addition. Perhaps more prevalent than ever, let's now take a look at vaccines and disease throughout the course of the modern revolution. If someone is successfully vaccinated against a disease, that means that they have immunity to that disease because their body produces the necessary antibodies. Edward Jenner produced the first successful vaccine in 1796 to help fight smallpox. From there, many vaccines have been developed that help with many dangerous diseases. As shown by the National Centers for Disease Control in the United States, Along with the formation of these vaccines came a drastic decrease in the number of reported cases and deaths once caused by deadly diseases such as polio and diphtheria. However, as I mentioned earlier, not everyone and not everywhere necessarily reaps the benefits of the modern revolution. These astonishing numbers only refer to the U.S. Around the world, countless people are not protected by the vaccines that those in the U.S. are. In 2012, the World Health Organization expressed that each year, There are about 1.5 million children in the world who die from diseases that could be prevented by vaccines. Once again, just because there are benefits and positive effects from the modern revolution in one area does not mean that those benefits are felt everywhere. Now let's examine governments in the modern revolution, specifically democracies. Carlos Boisch A professor of politics and public affairs at Princeton University has studied the growth in the number of democracies over the past 200 years. Bush shows that by the year 2000, the world had around 100 democracies, nearly doubled the number that there were in 1989, and nearly tripled the number that there were after the Second World War. Bush explains that, quote, More recently, democracies have kept cropping up at a steady rate. The majority of mankind may indeed wish to live under free institutions, but a look at history tells us a more cautionary tale about the chances of democratic progress. The chart below shows that still today, only slightly more than 50% of all sovereign states have a democratically constituted government. That proportion is not very different from the share of democracies in the peak years of 1920 and 1955. Democratic practices appear fragile in the corner of the former Soviet Union and in Latin America. They remain elusive in most of sub-Saharan Africa and in the Middle East, unquote. We can see the modern revolution's consistent influence on the style of governing bodies. Whether or not this spread of democracy is positive quite honestly depends on opinion. However, as Boish explains, it is vital to recognize that this spread of democracy is not felt globally. This way of examining government is another good example of how the modern revolution develops differently based on where one is looking at in the world. Let's circle back to the question of this podcast. To what extent has the modern revolution been a positive or negative force? On this episode, we've taken a look at many different examples showing both positive and negative effects of the modern revolution. We've also seen many examples that show that the modern revolution is not felt to the same extent everywhere around the world. As a whole, I would say that the modern revolution's advantages outweigh the consequences that have come along with it. However, we must not simply ignore those consequences, but rather find a way to address them. This way, as we continue to move forward in the modern revolution, we can find ways to increase the advantages of new technologies and discoveries and decrease the negative effects that come along with advancement. (music) 
I'm Laura Holt, and this has been the Little Big History mini-series where we examined essential questions of our past. Thank you so much for following along these past few weeks. A special shout-out goes out to Miss Smith for being the best Little Big History teacher ever. I hope to see you in person soon. Have a great night.